When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Mini Break, your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, July 19th. On today's show, we get back to doing what we do best here on this podcast, which of course is keep all of you listeners up to date on the latest developments in the tennis world. That means this week, keeping you all apprised on the five tour level events we have on the calendar. Three on the men's side with the two clay court tournaments in Bostad and Stad, our final grass court event of the year in Newport on the women's side. Two WTA 250 events on clay there in Palermo and Budapest, respectively. Of course, with five tournaments on the calendar, means we've got plenty to talk about here this week on this show. And again, what I want to do on today's episode is let all of you listeners know what happened over the last 24 hours in the tennis world. We're going to start today's podcast by talking about our three men's events. We had a successful day for just about every top seed in action, and yet it's funny. I don't want to start with any of their results. We'll touch on everything that happened, but the most notable thing for me on Wednesday was Hamad Medjedovic, who, of course, earned a three-set victory over Dominic Team in Stad to reach his first ATP quarterfinal. Now, as you can hear right away, I'm still struggling with my Medjedovic pronunciation. It's a guy, I'll be honest, I have not spent a ton of time watching in the early stages of his career, but he caught my attention today, excuse me, in his his three-set win over team, his second victory over team this season. Again, first ATP quarterfinal. Why does Medvedevich have my attention? Why is he the opening player I'm discussing here on today's show in a day where we saw top 20 players like Tommy Paul earn a victory? He might have been the only top 20 guy to earn a victory today. But, you know, guys like me, Amir Kasmenovic, Yana Kaufman, they're all higher profile than the 20-year-old Medvedevich, and yet... Again, we like to nerd out here on the Mini Break Podcast. I want to tell you about the newest developments, the most pertinent developments, not just the biggest, or I suppose the most prevalent, the highest profile, maybe is the best terminology storylines. Anyways, we don't need to get into the nomenclature. We don't need to get into debating adjectives. We can get into the tennis we saw on the day. And again, that includes discussions about Medvedevich, who I thought was exceptional in Stad. Hanfman earns in a tricky 7-5 in the third set victory as well. Again, Kesmenovic, Zizou Bergs, plenty of guys to discuss. I'm going to learn how to speak English as this podcast goes. Plenty of guys to discuss from Stad in Bostad. Musetti pushed to 7-6 in the third. Francisco Sarundolo looking the part of top 35 players. And then, of course, guys like Leo Berg, Philip Misalich, 
interesting storylines in action. Again, we'll talk Bostad. We'll talk Newport as well. A day that's uh, all eight round of 16 matches in action. We'll talk about who's competing in our quarterfinals moving forward. What did I see from the aforementioned Tommy Paul or the rest of the top seeds who got their tournaments underway in Newport on Wednesday? That's what's happening on the men's side. Of course, we'll update all of you on what's going on on the women's side as well, whether it's the continued success of Emma Navarro. She's into a quarterfinal in Palermo, a fascinating matchup, but waits with Jung Chinwen, who earned a much-needed 6-3 in the third set victory over Diana Perry. See, you're getting the headlines here in the intro. It's a five-tournament week. There's a lot of results for us to get through. We'll talk about what happened in Palermo in Budapest. We've already seen so many upsets. Things didn't exactly settle down on Wednesday either. And so again, on today's show, what I want you all to feel after listening is, well, well apprised, well up to up to date. I don't know why well, just up to date, period, on everything. That happened on Wednesday. So with that said, maybe I'm nervous. I'm back in Indianapolis. I was home at my, or I should say at my parents' house, which I guess I still consider home given that's how it came out of the mouth. And that's perhaps the highest compliment you can offer one's parents is that when you go home, it still feels like home. Nevertheless, I was home for two and a half weeks. I was doing a Way podcast. I'm back in our studio here in Crack Rackets HQ, and I'm ready to rock and roll. Talk about all the action we saw over the course of Wednesday. That is what we will do here on today's show. Of course, the reason we're able to do that day in, day out is because of all of the support we get for, from all of you listeners. And if you're looking for further updates on what's happening in the tennis world, just check out our other content, whether it be the Great Shot Podcast, Correct Interviews Podcast, The Breakpoint Show, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, we're rocking and rolling, trying to cover all aspects of the tennis world. I know on the GSP in particular, Damian Kust, Jakob Bobro, every Monday, talk about the Challenger Tour, John Parsons and I, of course, bringing the deciding point to the summer here this year. We're breaking down all of the players with college tennis ties and their results in the pro circuit uh, throughout the course of of the summer so that, again, all of you college tennis fans feel like you're still up to date on everything happening, even if the college tennis season is in a hiatus this summer. Lots of good content, lots of good tennis happening across the world. You can find all of it on our website, crackrackets.com. And again, we do sincerely appreciate all of you listeners trusting us to keep you the most well-informed, best educated tennis fans in the business. A shout out to you and a shout out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest equipment at the best prices. With that said, let's get into a busy Wednesday in the professional tennis world. Let's start with the action in Stad. Again, I can't do an opening minute on Hamad Medvedevich and not explain why I felt the need to do so. Again, Medvedevich, the 20-year-old. And by the way, his birthday was yesterday. So happy belated birthday, my friend. You know, that's something we like to nerd out about here on this show. It says it on Tennis Abstract. That's why I always bring it up right at the top of the profile. But you look for Medvedevich now, the 20-year-old, currently sitting at 183 entering the week. Of course, he reached a career high of 156 in the middle of June in reaching his first career quarter final here this week in Stad. He is back up to number 157 in the live rankings. One off his career high, obviously one more victory, and he will surpass that and enter the top 150. What is it about Medvedevich that caught my eye in particular? Well, in reaching the quarterfinals here in Stad, he's had to do it the hard way. 
came through qualifying, gets a three-set win over Zheng Zhizhen, the number five seed in the round of 32, 6-3 in the third over Dominic Team today. It's the weapons that just jump out after watching him play, I don't know, two games because you realize that power, he does have that ability to sustain it. He does have, I mean, he's a big guy. Let's just be blunt about that. Hamad Medvedevic listed at 6'2", but I would say 6'3", and 6'4", and again, full in the sense of he's not tall and skinny out there like Medvedev. No, it's a sturdier build, and, you know, again, the reason I bring up that build is you see it in the pace he's able to produce on ground stroke after ground stroke, facing a guy in Dominic team who obviously can crank things up from the baseline himself. It was Medvedevich who was on his front foot through the majority of the match. Medvedevich who takes the first set in a breaker and, or excuse me, doesn't take the first set in the breaker, who breaks Dominic team to close out the set in a 5-4 scenario where, you know, again, he had faced a little bit of adversity in his four-all service game. Excuse me, I said five-all, uh, four-all service game. Six-five service game where Medvedevich had faced a little adversity in his five-all service game and is able to come through with a big serve, a big forehand. And I will say that Medvedevich forehand, it is best suited for a clay court because that backswing is big, that grip is Western in how closed it is. And for those listeners who may not be aware of what that Western grip means, it's, you know, again, how closed is the face when you're making contact? Are you brushing through the ball or driving through it? It's about wrist positioning. Again, the more closed the grip is, the more topspin you can produce. But again, it's a little bit trickier to produce that topspin when your grip is that extreme and the ball is coming in hard at you. Clay Court certainly slowed things down, and it did feel like because Dominic Team was seeding so much position from the baseline team in his typical six, seven, eight feet behind the baseline position that Medvedevich did have a little bit more time to come over the top of the ball and swing through things a little bit more easily. But man, can he fire some ground strokes from the baseline. And in his 7-5-2-6-6-3 victory, I just thought that's what he did. I thought he was the aggressor. And look... He played a really bad game to get broken right out of the gates in set number two. And it was a credit to Dominic Team, who did improve his court positioning, who got a little bit more aggressive in swinging through his backhand, in particular changing direction with that backhand, because while Medvedevic has some size, I would say the hips are a little stiff, not the best at changing direction. And I do think for him, that will be the Achilles heel is the wrong word. That will be the deciding factor in how high he rises up the rankings is how much that movement improves because those weapons are going to work across surfaces. And again, you look for Medvedevich, who has played the majority of his season on clay courts, has really been on them since the start of March. Now, he did go to the grass courts, qualified for the challenger in Ilkley, reached the first round through qualifying in Wimbledon, now a quarterfinal here at Stad. You know what that means? He's got the big mo. And I mean, this is a guy who's won, what, two challengers here this year, one in February, one in May, both of them on clay courts. It makes sense that the next step in his progression is to reach a 250 quarterfinal on the clay courts. But, you know, again, you got to get top 100 to get a consistent spot in those 250 main draws. Obviously, you got to be top 100 to earn a consistent spot in those Grand Slam main draws as well. And yet, at 20 years old, it would not shock me to see Medvedevich make that jump because 
he has top 100 weapons. He does hit with that sort of pace. And look, on the Dominic team side of things, obviously the big thing, he snapped his, what, four-match skid, and he had lost six of his last seven. Coming into Stad, gets a win over Mueller before this three-set loss. I don't think he served particularly poorly. It was that the second serve, I mean, Medvedevic was just all over it. And Credit to Medvedevic, who was only broken twice in the match. Both of those breaks coming in set number two. It was one break for Medvedevic in set one and set three that separated him from team. I thought it spoke more to Medvedevic's ability to find the big first serve, the big first forehand, and impose himself on team, who was too defensive. Like Again, when he's 24-25 and could generate elite pace from ridiculous defensive positioning, he could get away with being seven, eight feet behind the baseline because he was that sort of athlete. He's a little older now. It's just not quite as springy as routinely from the baseline. That's going to happen to any player, particularly a player who's dealt with as many injuries as the 29-year-old team has over the past few seasons. But again, the biggest takeaway is Medvedevich imposed his will on Dominic Team. He had the biggest weapons on the court, and so it is a first quarterfinal for Medvedevich, one win away from reaching a new career high and Uh, entering the top 150 for the first time, of course. Coming up next, he will face Yannick Hanfman. And look, is there anything particularly notable about Hanfman's three-set win over Daniel Altmaier from a significant standpoint or from a surprise standpoint? No, it's a result you'd expect for Hanfman, who is coming off of obviously a semifinal run in Mallorca prior to Wimbledon, but most notably that Rome quarterfinal one. And he's a guy who's made multiple quarterfinals on clay over the course of the past few seasons. But look, it's a little different when that four is next to your name and you look for Yannick Hanfman in his career in ATP Tour-level matches. Hanfman had never been seated prior to this week. He'd been seated in qualifying, I believe. No, I don't see any qualifying matches. When I look only main draw, this is the first time in Yannick Hanfman's career that he has been seated at an ATP Tour-level event. As the kids say, it just hits a little differently when you have that sort of pressure, especially when you're playing a fellow countryman, right? And for what it's worth for Hanfman, it's his 12th career clay court, uh, uh, it's his 12th career, excuse me, ATP quarterfinal now in Stad. 11 of those 12 have come on clay courts. So for those of you wondering, Alex, are you going to give us a stat to say Yannick Hanfman to prove he's made multiple clay court quarterfinals in his career? Well, there's your stat. He has 12 career quarterfinals. 11 of them are on clay courts. By the way, that's his fourth clay court quarterfinal of the season. I imagine that's a top 10 number on the ATP Tour. It's the first time in his career he's reached a quarterfinal of a tour-level event and only had to win one match. That's sick. Like, I don't know how else to say it. 31 years old, and it only took one match to reach the quarterfinals. Welcome to life in the top 50, Yannick Hanfman, who found an extra gear, whose kick-serve-wide drop-shot combination is Elkaraz-esque on these clay courts. And I do not say that lightly. I think he's the best servant volleyer on clay we have on the ATP Tour right now. When he has that ability to hit down on the ball, and with his size, he's able to do that. Oh, can he... Just hit blistering ground strokes through the court. He moves really well for his size. Now, the forehand gets a little shanky because it is a big backswing. And, you know, again, he'll pull up from that ball. That's where the errors come when pressured by pace. Altmaier played well, but this was a big one for Hanfman. And I'm excited to watch him face off against the weapons of Medvedevich. 
I also wonder, Medvedevich, how much gas do you have left in the tank after playing back-to-back quarter, uh, three-set matches? Now Medvedevich will get a day off, as will Hanfman, but... That's a sneaky fun quarterfinal in Stad uh, to prepare for. And again, good win for Hanfman to advance. Now, you know, again, I don't want to diminish the other two matches because I actually thought these were the two best. Uh, this was the best event of the day, the action we saw in Stad, whether it's uh, Miamir Kasmenovic, straight set win, 6 and 1 over Stricker. He goes up a break, serves for the set. Stricker breaks right back. It was a really fun first set breaker. But man, then Kasminovich started finding the line, that backhand line in particular, his ability to absorb, redirect the heavy lefty topspin forehand of Dom Stricker, who I know I was very high on last season. I thought he was going to for sure start this year as a top 100 player. He hasn't quite done that, but I still love how explosive the ball is coming off of his racket. But man, Kasminovich swung through, uh, hit through the court in a way I just hadn't seen him do in quite a bit of time. And so that was a good win for Kesmenovich. He's into the quarterfinals where now he will face Zizou Bergs. And I mean, you look for Zizou Bergs, I believe what in his career, this is his first ATP tour level quarterfinal. Indeed it is. We'd seen him win matches at the tour level before. He's won a match in Stad in the past. He's won a match in Antwerp in the past, but wins over Laszlo Juran three. Now Yuri Rodionov in three sets. I mean, first ATP Tour-level quarterfinal for the 24-year-old. You look for Bergs now with this result. He's back up to number 155 in the live rankings. It just makes life a little easier for, look, a guy who's got big weapons. Like, there's no doubt when he has his feet set, he can drive the ball through a court. It was very, you know, a lot of plus one between him and Rodionov. It was a fun match. but And I, I think Bergs versus Kesmanovich is, again, a fun contrast of styles. Those are two fun quarterfinals to keep your eyes on in Stad. Of course, a bunch of round of 16 matches tomorrow. Bautista Goop versus Kashin. Munar Wawrinka, probably the best. Birthday bro, Juan Pablo Farias versus Bagnus. Albert Ramos Vinolas taking on Lorenzo Senego. Ramos Vinolas 2-0 in the career head-to-head. So don't be the person who calls that match an upset if indeed it does go the way of the unseeded Ramos Vinolas. That said, that's where things stand in Stad. Right now, no shot given he's around ahead. Yannick Hanfman, the favorite to take the title according to the Tennis Abstract. Singles forecast 22.4%. Let's move on now to our other ATP clay court event. Of course, that's happening in Bostad. And, you know, it was a fairly straightforward day from a big picture results standpoint, but funky pathway to get there. And that, of course, starts with Lorenzo Musetti, the number three seed this week in Bostad. I've mentioned it before. Musetti, the quietest 21-year-old inside the top 20 we have right now because obviously Sinner, Runa, Alcaraz, all 20, 21 years old in the case of Sinner. They're all top 10 players. So you forget like, oh yeah, Musetti's pretty new to the scene as well, 21 years old and yet has done a pretty good job of consolidating his spot inside the top 20 of the rankings. And look, Musetti got pushed. It had everything to do with the level of 21-year-old, excuse me, 22-year-old Matteo Arnaldi, the world number 75, who earned an impressive three-set win, 7-6 in the third over Rusevori in his first-round match. He just has weapons. He's fluid in the outer third. The ground strokes are concise. They're consolidated. He is just really good, man. It's I always say in that category, when I don't know what the overwhelming weapon is, but you're pretty good at everything, I call that the David Goffin style of life on the te- uh, in, in the ATP hierarchy. 
Arnaldi has that to him. And, you know, again, I don't see him leaving the top 100 for quite some time because it took everything from Lorenzo Musetti. He came up with a backhand stab of a return on match point. Arnaldi netted an overhead. Like, that's how thin the margins were. Some of the things Arnaldi did to fight off set points throughout the course of the match are, you know, again, fight off breakpoint opportunities for Musetti. Electric in the outer thirds, but... Man, Lorenzo's really good. And again, you look for Musetti now, uh, who, with this result, he moves to 41-29 and 29 over his last 52 weeks, 23-16 and 16 here this season, seventh quarterfinal for him of the year now. He's only advanced past uh, to the semifinal round once this season, and that was via a withdrawal from Yannick Sinner. He's 0-5 in quarterfinal matches he's played, but in facing first-time quarterfinalist Philip. Misalich, who overcame a three-love third set deficit to advance to his first quarterfinal. This is one Musetti's got to have, and I think it's one he will have as well. So again, for Musetti, this is one just to get through. Arnaldi was another player. He wins today. Him and Medvedevich are my two leads on the show, but credit to Arnaldi uh, for the fight. Credit to Musetti. He's through 7-6 in the third. Francisco Sarandolo just worked Luca Van Asha. Van Asha moved extraordinarily well. He made the match very physical. It was, what, an hour 21, but, you know, again, each rally, a ton of 10 to 15 ball rallies, and yet he just didn't have a weapon to hurt Sarandolo, and it was ultimately when Sarandolo found the forehand. Now the point was on Sarandolo's term. Still, Sarandolo 30-17 and 17 now on the year. He's into his eighth, eighth, eighth quarterfinal of the season. Eight of them. It's how you become a top 20 player in the world. And you look for the soon-to-be 25-year-old Francisco Sarandolo, currently 21 in the world. But that's because he's defending title points this week in Bostad. And that title defense is off to a roaring start. So three-set win for Musetti. Straight-set win for Sarandolo. Three-set win for Misalich. And then Federico Coria ending the run of wildcard Leo Borg, 4-2. and two. I like the serve. I like the forehand. I like the movement of Leo Berg. The backhand's the issue. The backhand just sits short, and you can't have that uh, on the pro tour. And so that, bo- uh, you know, how quickly he def- uh, continues to improve his backhand will define his ceiling moving forward. Because again, I like how well he gets outside the forehand. I love his ability to go inside out. I love his willingness to move forward. I like how well he moved around the clay. The backhand sat short. And Coria made him pay for it every time. So he unfortunately sees his run end. Still a good week for him in Bostad. Coria through to the quarterfinals. Of course, tomorrow your matchup, Zverev, who it was announced today, faces another serious uh, allegation of assault in German court. He was handed a notice. This was reported in the German in German news. I apologize for blanking on the outlet. I'm going to have David Kane on tomorrow to discuss that uh this second accusation and again what the how the ATP tour has to respond from here if we do see him on court he will be facing Diego Montiero Rublev versus Kotov Ofner versus Pata Morales Rude versus Shevchenko and again the reason I bring up the the news surrounding Zverev is it's a significant story I just I need to do my own research uh, I need to do more research into it excuse me read the reports before I offer my assessment to all of you and I like to have people who are as smart, if not smarter than me on this topic. And so I want to bring David Kane in to discuss it as well. So we'll have more on that tomorrow. Uh, the match to watch is Ruth Shevchenko because that uh, big ball striking. 
in that match. And, you know, again, even though Musetti's around ahead, Kasparud's still a 24.3% favorite to win the event. I guess that's what happens when you make back-to-back uh, clay court Roland Garros slam finals is the numbers start to like you that much more whenever you're on the surface. Still, that's what's going on in Bostad in Newport. We had our round of 16 played all the way through. Seeds go 5-1. and one. Yeah, 5-1 and one overall on the day. We'll rapid fire through these. Ethan looked great. Our dear friend Ethan Quinn, NCAA champion, the recent NCAA champion, I should say, recently turned pro after his one year at Georgia, one and a half if you count the red shirt season. His serve, his forehand, there are times he just strikes them. And on a slower, high-bouncing surface, when he has some more time, those weapons are real. But, you know, again, things got funky. Tommy looked absorbed the pace well, redirected it well, was clever and creative with his chipping, his charging, his volleys. I think Ethan's serve and forehand combination looked bigger via the eye test. Now, again, Tommy's were more effective, but I thought Ethan looked good. And again, you get your first ATPW this week. It's a good week for Ethan Quinn. Nevertheless, Tommy threw to another quarterfinal, as is Adrian Manorino. The grass court goat, three and four over Rinky Hijikata. Rinky had his chances to break throughout the course of the second set. Just could not get the ball through Manorino. Uh, still, another good win for Rinky Hijikata, who the former UNC All-American continues to close in on the top 100. Stevie Johnson played well. Ugo Umber played very well. His first quarterfinal in about two years. The Frenchman has reestablished his place inside the top 100 with this result back up to number 40 in the live rankings. Good win for Mackie McDonald. Four and six over Lee Two. Much needed quarterfinal for McDonald, who, by the way, 53 right now in the world. Five off his career high. Mackie career high watch. We're looking for you, Mackie. Jordan Thompson. Always tough on the grass, 2-2 two and two over Brody. The upset of the day, and I don't know if this is an upset getting the, given the surface and the size disparity, Isner, 3-4 and four over Mute. Speaking of big man, Kevin Anderson, 3-6 and six over Heiss Brower. And then, look, I don't think we're going to see Alex Mickelson, unfortunately, play any college tennis as Mickelson is through to his first ATP quarterfinal. Mickelson, a three-set win over James Duckworth. Six love in the third for Mickelson up to a new career high, number 165. The weapons are real. He is tennis. Like, again, how well he continues to grow into his body, how the, the more comfortable he gets with his movement. This surface is perfect for him to amplify what he already does so well, which is impose himself with his weapons, which to do at that age is just remarkable. Quarterfinal matchups are as followed. All-Americans on the top. Tommy versus Isner, Mackie versus Mickelson. That is so good for this tournament because it just means you're going to have butts in seats. Guaranteed American in the final. Guaranteed Americans competing the final three days. Tommy versus Isner, Mackie versus Mickelson. If you are at all on the East Coast, my buddy who lives in Boston was like, dude, why aren't you here? I, I hope it's funny because my mom listens to every show. She'll know who I'm mimicking. I'm not going to say which friend because you all won't know him. But he was like, dude, there's tennis an hour and a half from Boston. Why aren't you with me? I was like, dude. I got things to do. I'm watching. But if you're on the East Coast, it's, again, Newport is a close train ride from just about everywhere. You got no excuse. Listen to these matchups. Tommy Isner, Mackie Mickelson, Anderson Umber, Thompson Manorino. Everyone's got a shot, according to the Tennis Abstract Singles Forecast. Mickelson's only at 1.5, but everyone else is sandwiched between 21 and 8%. And I mean, like, again, I know there's only eight guys left still. 
It's going to be really good tennis down the home stretch. We're locked in, and we will have further updates for you on Newport throughout the course of the week here. With that said, that's everything that's happened on the AT, uh, excuse me on the ATP side of things. Let's move over to our WTA side now, and let's start in Palermo. Shout out, of course, to Emma Navarro, who earns a 2-1 victory over wildcard Camilla Rostallo. Now, the match itself... Not particularly notable because, again, Navarro did her thing. That's, dare I say, a blowout uh, for the world number 57. But you look for Emma Navarro now. It's her third career quarterfinal. All three of them come in this season. It's the routine nature in which she reached it. And you look for Emma Navarro now up to number 52 in the live rankings. Emma Navarro, again, three tour-level finals here this season. Tenth quarterfinal Overall on the year, she's done three at the tour level, two 125Ks, two 100Ks. Again, those 125 and 100Ks are the WTA equivalents of challengers. That's the profile of a top 50 player. Emma Navarro has been that good. And you look for her in the points race. Navarro is currently sitting, interesting, number 84. That speaks to maybe the fact that some of them have been 100, 125K events. But it's just a slow and steady rise. Rostello couldn't hurt her. Navarro dusted her. Uh, like Again, it looked like a college match for the former NCAA champion who was that good during her two years at Virginia. And it's translated, again, up to a new career high, number 52 in the live rankings. To do that in 15 months of pro tennis, 22 years old, 52 in the world. Not too bad, Emma, of course. That's not the most notable result of the day. It probably belongs to Jung Chin Wen, who just got her much-needed victory. 7-5-3-6-6-3 over Diana Perry. That's two wins now on the week for Jung Chin Wen, who reaches her first quarter, or excuse me, her, what, third quarterfinal of the season, first since Rome back in May. And, you know, again, there have been a lot of injuries throughout the course of the year for Chin Wen, but she was riding a four-match losing streak heading into this week's event and to get a couple of victories under her belt. I said it at the start of the week on Monday show. She uh, on Tuesday show, excuse me. She was the player I think this week is most significant for of anyone competing across the tour level because she is still top ten in hold percentage. She is still a top thirty player in the world, and it just feels like she is primed for a breakthrough, for a three, you know, again, if she could do, I could see her doing to end this season what Holger Runa did to end last season, which is like win a San Diego or win a Guadalajara. She has that sort of talent, that sort of skill. And so, again, to get through the tricky Perry 6-3 in the third, her pace just kind of overwhelmed that Perry backhand in the end. Man, credit to Chin Wen. Uh, that was a much-needed victory, and I'm really looking forward to her versus Navarro on Friday. That match is circled in my calendar. Speaking of circled, Sarah Ceribes Tormo on the ascent. Healthy, once again, is the Spaniard. 3-2 and two into a quarterfinal after she knocks out Brancaccio. And then how about Clara Birel, the French uh, woman? 2-4 and four over Christina Busca. Birel versus Ceribes Tormo. Navarro, Chin Wen, your quarterfinals that are set. Your matchups tomorrow. Kasakina versus Barkova. Paulini versus Yastremska. And Riva versus Osorio. That's a fun battle between two talented youngsters. And then Lancer versus Sharif. That's the action going on in Palermo. In Budapest, the upsets continue. And did I not say, did I not say, Claire Liu over Yulia Putenseva? My Claire Lou senses were tingling. That's the matchup she loves. Someone who's going to give her time to dictate with her weapons and 
you know, again, when she has that time, she can drive the ball through the court. Lou, 3-6 and six victory to advance to the quarterfinals with that victory. Claire Lou back up to number 82 in the live rankings. Again, 23 years old, top 100. You're where you want to be. I mean, you're not where you want to be. Claire Lou's a former junior slam champion. She wants to be top 10 in the world, but you're just in the fight. That's what matters most, and that's a really good victory uh, over Putensva. Again, just Potensiva couldn't hurt her. She got impatient. Credit to Lou for getting through the finish line there in straight sets. Your other results on the day, and I won't lie, I watched less of Budapest probably than the rest of the event, so I'll do catch up on this tomorrow when we have David Kane on to talk about all things Amarisa Kiara Toth and everything that happened in her round one matchup with Jung Shui. Yes, I didn't miss that storyline either. Again, we're saving that for a DK Wednesday session, but a uh, Thursday session, but you had Stoller, the wild card from Hungary, 7-6 in the third over Tatiana Maria Schmidlova, three sets over Korpats Yuvan, three sets over Sharma. Your matchups tomorrow, Diana Schneider, always fun to watch the NC State Wolfpack All-American take on Tima Fiva, Podoroska Siskova, Avanisian versus Bonder, Bandel versus Toth. It'll be fascinating to see how the crowd responds to that round of 16 matchup. That's everything, though, coming off of the past 24 hours in the ATP and WTA Tennis Worlds. Of course, we will be back tomorrow to let you know what happens on Thursday. And again, I will be joined by David Kane tomorrow. There's going to be a GSP or a mini break. I'll decide in the moment. I think it's going to be a GSP because I want to talk tennis here on the mini break. We'll bring David over to the GSP to do some 30,000-foot view conversations. But more broadly, we know it's busy times in the tennis world. And it's our job here at Crack Rackets to keep you up to date on everything happening. That is exactly what we plan on doing. And, of course, the reason I'm able to do that day in, day out is because of the tireless efforts of our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, who has a f- of an earning job day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout-out to him. A shout-out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, though, for the fantastic Daniel Westhoff, our super producer for our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.